Please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to James chapter 1, where I, Jeff McDonald, will preach tonight's sermon. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, let us pray and ask for God's blessing upon the reading and preaching of His Word. Great God of heaven, please condescend to us and be with us in this reading and preaching of your word. Please make me to be clear, and may Jesus Christ be the preacher of this sermon, and may our hearts be receptive to the seed of your word. May the evil one not snatch it away, may the cares of this world not choke it out, but may there be good soil in this place, and may there be a growth, may there be a harvest for your glory that will redound to eternity. And please convert the sinner and build up and edify the saint. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." The word of the Lord, you may be seated. As we saw last time, we are now in this new section of the book of James that deals with obedience to God's word. The book of James is essentially about the call to spiritual maturity and to wisdom. James is saying, don't remain a young, inexperienced, green Christian, but grow and mature. Think of the metaphor that Jesus gives of what it means to be united to Him from John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so there is that illustration of union with the Lord Jesus. He is the vine, and all who trust in him are the branches. The branches bear fruit. How? by being in the vine, by abiding in Him, by remaining in His love. There is that expectation that the believer will bear fruit, not by working really hard and trying in his own strength, but by communion with the Lord Jesus. And that communion will bear public fruit. Thomas Watson put it well, that true grace is progressive of a spreading, growing nature. And so the assumption on the part of James is that living things grow. The way you know if the branch is alive and truly united to the vine 
is if it is bearing fruit. So these are the sorts of things that James is calling the believer to here. Obedience to God's Word is a fruit of union and communion with the Lord Jesus by faith. And we saw last time how important God's Word is in the life of the believer. So there in verse 18, how God uses His Word as the instrument to bring you to new life in Jesus Christ, to, to regenerate you from the dead. And there in verse 21, God uses His Word throughout your Christian life to grow and mature you. So God used His Word to make you a believer. He uses His Word to grow you as a believer, but there's more in this passage. A mature believer listens to God's Word. He is a hearer of God's Word, not of his own opinions, what he thinks is best, not of the philosophies of man. But even more than that, James would not have the believer's growth be hindered in any way. There's more to maturity than simply hearing what God says. And that is the main point of tonight's passage, that a mature believer listens to God's Word and puts what he has heard into practice. A mature believer listens to God's Word and puts what he has heard into practice. So, as we saw last time, hearing is absolutely necessary, but so is doing. Hearing and doing are two sides of the same coin. There's no such thing as a one-sided coin, and there's no such thing as a believer who hears but does not do. Hearing without doing is blind. Doing without hearing is empty. Both involve one another. So hearing, as we saw last time, hearing, true hearing, hearing with the heart will manifest in doing with the hands. And that is the the type of ministry that you are getting that you will always get by God's grace from this pulpit of head, heart, and hands. We want to address your head. We want you to learn the truth, learn right doctrine, to replace false views of things with biblical ones. We want to address your heart, your affections, to have right love, to to love God and love the things that He loves. And we want to also address your hands, to have right practice, right living in all spheres of life. So these three things, head, heart, and hands, must be present in a truly biblical ministry and in in the everyday life of the Christian. So James shows the necessity of obeying God's Word, doing it, not just hearing it, in three ways. First of all, he addresses the danger of not doing. The danger of not doing. Look there again at verse 22. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James is no pragmatist. He does not want us to busy ourselves with doing things that seem good just for its own sake, doing things that just work. He, he wants us to hear what God requires and then to do it. Hearing is just as necessary as doing. You won't know what to do if you don't first hear. But once you have heard, then it is time to go to work. I'm sure you're familiar with how controversial, controversial James chapter 2 is which we'll get to shortly, that faith apart from works is dead. James is saying the same kind of thing here in chapter 1, even though it isn't fully developed. He's calling you, the believer, the believer in the Lord Jesus, to a living faith, which is all he's doing in chapter 2, that controversial passage, a faith that works through love, a faith that shows itself to be the real thing by walking in holiness, in obedience to God's commands. It's hard to say it any better than Richard Gaffin, 
that a faith that rests in God the Savior is a faith that is restless to do His will. Faith is both of those things, resting in the Lord Jesus, but is also restless to glorify Him. So here in verse 22, James presents to us a real danger in being one who only hears and does not do. You see that danger right there at the end of verse 22, deceiving yourselves. What is the danger of not obeying God's Word, not putting it into practice? The danger of not doing is that you will be self-deceived. Deceiving yourselves, not someone else deceiving you, you have deceived yourselves if you think that hearing is sufficient for salvation. That word deceiving there in verse 22, James is calling us to avoid those subtle, clever delusions, the subtle delusion that hearing is sufficient without doing. The only other time this word deceiving is used in the New Testament is in Colossians 2, when Paul is, is addressing the, the, the church at Colossae, imploring them, don't listen to the false teachers. Very complimentary with that call to arms we heard this morning. Don't listen to the false teachers, Paul says there. Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus instead. Who is he? What, what is relevant for the Colossians to know there? The Lord Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So there he's emphasizing, if you see the fullness that is in Christ, if you see how there is nothing but wisdom and righteousness and knowledge in Jesus Christ, if you see the fullness that is in Him, then you'll see how empty and worthless the false teachers are. That's Paul's reasoning there. Look at who Christ is, and you won't be deceived by the false teachers. James is calling us to that same kind of thing here. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fool yourself into thinking that merely hearing the Word is enough. You must respond to the Word. You must believe it. You must do what it says. When it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. We hear it or say it all the time. Boy, that was a great sermon. But how many sermons, good or bad, have you heard And how many sermons have you responded to? You've heard enough sermons. Maybe you know that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. But do you trust in him? You agree that he is the exalted Lord because he has been raised from the dead. But have you bowed the knee to him yourself? You have some sort of orthodoxy. You know that repentance is necessary for salvation. But have you repented yourself? Have you turned from your sin and taken hold of the Lord Jesus your own self. Think of the example that Jesus gives in Matthew 7. Same kind of thing we see here. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them Will be, will be likewise a, a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and, it, and great was the fall of it. That is the end of one who hears the word but doesn't do it. You built this wonderful house on quicksand and time will tell that you built your house not upon the rock you built your house upon the, the flimsy foundation of your own works and your own false righteousness because you heard the gospel, 
but you didn't do anything about it. You didn't take hold of it for your eternal salvation. What foundation do you build on? Do you think that you can approach God in your own righteousness? Because you have none to offer Him. You will only meet God unafraid if you go to Him on the ground of the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to you and received by faith alone. You've heard that message time and time again, but do you believe it? Not do you acknowledge it to be true, to be what the Bible says, but do you believe it for yourself? Have you turned from your sin and taken hold of the Savior yourself? Or have you deceived yourself? Have you tricked yourself into thinking, I've heard this, I know it, I can articulate it, and that is sufficient. Thomas Boston, the word heard but not practiced will sink men deeper in damnation, but heard and practiced too will bring them into eternal salvation. Oh, then be careful to practice what you hear, otherwise it will do you no good. That is the danger of not doing. You think that hearing is enough, but merely hearing, and as James will get to eventually, the devils hear the Word. They know what it says. They acknowledge it to be true, and they are under God's wrath and always will be so. Hearing only will send you to hell. Hearing and believing what you've heard is what saves sinners and sends them to heaven instead. That is the danger of not doing. Secondly, James also emphasizes the foolishness of not doing. The foolishness of not doing. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So it is not just dangerous to hear and not do, to avoid practicing God's word. It is downright foolish. It is stupid to do so. Listen to how Thomas Manton describes this person who looks in the mirror and and sees himself, truly, to some extent at least, and then walks away without doing anything. He forgets the fashion of his countenance, of, of his face, the spots represented therein, and so fitly notes those weak impressions which the discoveries of the word leave upon a careless soul, who after his deformity is represented, is not affected with it so as to be brought to repentance. There is nothing worse than a sinner who acknowledges that he is a sinner and walks away from the Lord Jesus. When you merely hear the word, you're like the one who, to change the metaphor, looks into the mirror and you see what needs to change and you do nothing about it. Oh my goodness. Well, I better run. I'm going to be late. How much worse is it to act this way when it, when it relates to when it involves eternity? You look into the mirror of God's infallible word. You see your sin. You see God's law and you see that you have fallen short of it. You see your need of the Savior. Oh my goodness, this isn't good. This is me. I I agree with everything I see in this mirror. All right, now what's for dinner? You saw something of what your need was. You, You have two eyes. You have some sort of common grace ability to see things as they are, but again, by God's common grace. You saw something of your sin, but you walked away and did nothing about it. Now, don't misunderstand. James is not talking about 
Okay, you need to look in the mirror, and you got to see what needs to change, and you got to you got to get out the makeup and cover things up, or you got to you got to do something about your appearance. He's not talking about you changing anything. He's talking about hearing the word and taking it to heart. Don't look and and see. Yes, I see what in the mirror. I see that this is bad. Do the only thing you can do. Go to the one who will wash you white as snow in his cleansing blood. Do you see that you need to repent? Then repent. Do you see that you need to trust in the Lord Jesus? Then trust in him. Do you just acknowledge that what you see in the mirror of of God's word is accurate? That is good, but it will do you no good ultimately. You must do something about it. You must go to the Lord Jesus to be saved. Matthew Henry How many are there who, when they sit under the word, are affected with their own sinfulness, misery, and danger, acknowledge the evil of their sin, their need of Christ, but when their hearing is over, all is forgotten, convictions are lost, good affections vanish and pass away like the waters of a land flood. In other words, how often does it happen that the sermon goes in one ear and out the other? Now, of course, you're not going to remember everything you hear from the preaching of God's Word, but if you don't hear the most important thing, if you don't hear the most important thing with your heart, that you need to turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus, if you remember everything else, that will do you no good. Don't listen to another sermon without responding, without doing it, hearing that the Lord Jesus is the only Savior of sinners, and then bow the knee and make Him your Savior. If you don't, you are just as foolish as this man who sees himself, sees how bad he is, and does nothing. Don't be foolish. Take advantage of the opportunity. So we've seen the danger of not doing. We've seen the foolishness of not doing. Thirdly, and finally, the benefit of doing. The benefit of doing. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Maybe there's someone here who's reading this passage thinking, where is the gospel in this? James is a legalist after all, this work of doing, doing, doing. Where's the gospel in this? Well, it's clearly right there in verse 25. What is the law? It's the law of liberty. It is freedom. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. You are set free from from sin and enslaving the enslaving power of sin, how? By the Word of God itself. It's, it's there in verse 25 again that the, the doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. We've seen already in this series that blessing or blessed be the one who, in this case, blessed be the one who does, that is not a, well, it'll just be really neat for you if you do this. Blessing is, is related to the one who is in the kingdom of God. The announcement that the one who is blessed has been granted this thing by the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. The doer is the one who can can respond to the preaching of God's Word because he's been given a new heart with new affections to do so. There is the gospel here after all. Calvin summarizes James here. The, 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 The teaching of the law, let it no longer lead you to bondage, but on the contrary bring you to freedom. Let it no longer be only a schoolmaster, but bring you to perfection. It ought to be received by you with sincere affection, so that you may lead a godly and holy life. As we saw there, God's word here is the perfect law 
of liberty. God using his word by the power of his spirit to take off the chains, to remove you from bondage to sin. Just as God sovereignly and authoritatively removed Israel from the, the house of slavery, the house of death and darkness in Egypt, and made them his new creation and gave them his law, so God uses his word to effect a greater exodus, not from slavery in some nation, but from slavery to sin, from submission to Satan, from being under the powers of this present evil age. God uses his word to effect that transformation. The ordinary means of grace are used by God to effect extraordinary results. Here James is also emphasizing the need to be a Psalm 1 kind of Christian. You hear the language of Psalm 1 here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates on God's law. He chews that cud, and you run it through your mind, and you think about it, and you start to see the implications of these things, and you see how they apply to all of life. You then become a mature doer of the word and not a, merely a hearer. But then what about there in verse 25, that he will be blessed in his doing? More, more language of doing. Isn't James the, the legalist that Rome thinks that he is after all? Isn't this just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do stuff in order to be saved? Not at all. Notice the wording there. He will not be blessed by his doing. He will not be saved because he does. He is blessed in his doing. Listen to how Thomas Manton explains this. That here the, the papists, the, the Roman Catholics come upon us and say, look, here's a clear, clear place where you're blessed for your deeds. Salvation by works. No, Manton points out that it is good to mark the, the, the way that the apostle puts it. He does not say we are blessed for our deeds. We are blessed in our deeds. It is an argument of our blessedness, though not the ground of it. It is the way of blessing, not the cause of blessing. So if you've already been regenerated, as we see there in verse 18, if you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've removed the, the works of, of, the, of the sinful flesh, if you are walking in holiness because God, Christ has made you holy, you will be blessed in your doing. Not because you do, but because Christ has saved you, you will be blessed in your doing, in your spirit-wrought doing. Again, hear the language of Shorter Catechism 90 as it reflects this passage here. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up on our hearts, and practice it in our lives. And so you see how our forefathers have em emphasized there's something to do before the preaching of, word, of the word, there's something to do in the preaching of the word, and there's something to do after the preaching of the word. And here, I think James is focusing on after. There must be, there must be practice. There must be conviction of sin. I see afresh that I fall short of God's glory. There must be a driving to Christ. I see that it is only in the Lord Jesus that I am right with God, and I see more of the fullness of salvation that is in him and that is in him for me. And there must be walking in his law. I will never walk perfectly. 
in this life, but I look forward to the day when I will in the consummation of the kingdom, and by God's grace, I'll put one foot in front of the other and, and pilgrim on the way there. There must be change in your heart and life when you meet with God in His Word. There must be a change in thought pattern, not of worldliness, not of, well, this sounds good over here, and then I'll synthesize it with what's written in here, but only what you see in here. This, as Calvin says, is your glasses. If you need your glasses, you can't see anything correctly, but with your glasses, you see all things as they are. You see clearly. There must be a change in your affections. I once had a professor who greatly changed his diet. He rode his bike miles and miles each week. Apparently, he was really into desserts, really into sweets before he changed up his diet. And after a while, he said that his tastes began to change. What he wanted to eat changed. I'm sure initially it was difficult to avoid unhealthy food or unhealthy amounts of food. But over time, as good replaced bad, as caring for the body replaced ignoring the body, he didn't even want the things he once wanted. He said that there came a point when he couldn't even eat a strawberry because it was too sweet. Even something natural like, like, like fruit, that was too sweet to his taste. Now, don't misunderstand. This might be an extreme example, but you, you do get the point. The point is not that you should avoid desserts. I'm looking forward to my Lord's Day ice cream later tonight. The point is that you can change what you love. Of course, real heart change only happens by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit indwelling every believer. And that is going to be a lifelong struggle against the remaining corruption within our hearts. We know that from other parts of God's Word. But there will be growth. There are things that you currently love and condone that God hates. And as you receive God's Word prayerfully, by faith, your desires will more and more match up with God's desires. Your heart will come more into conformity with His. I used to like this show. I used to like this whatever. But now, it doesn't do anything anymore. Your affections can change. There will be growth by the power of God's Spirit, the power of God's Spirit using the Word. There will be growth when we take the Word to heart and then put it to work. In closing, a few points of application. Someone here may say, all this talk of being a mature believer, that sounds like a deluxe package deal. I'm interested in the bare minimum. I just want to do a thief on the cross type of conversion. Live how I want, and then right the last second, get into heavenly glory. Well, there are many things to say about that, not least that you have no idea how or when you will die, and you must prepare. But since we're speaking here of maturity, of the mature believer, what would you say to a teenager who wanted to stay in diapers? What would you say to a college student who uses a pacifier? These things do not fit. Maturity means leaving off your, the old practices, becoming a man or a woman of God. You are made to grow and mature. That's what living things do. They progress in grace. So if this is your desire, I just want the bare minimum. Give me, I don't want this deluxe package stuff. Bare minimum, bare minimum for me. You may not be truly alive and in Christ. Here again, Thomas Boston. That hearing that fills the head with knowledge, 
but not the heart with holiness will serve only to let people see the way to hell more clearly. Let me be perfectly clear, in case I have not been up to this point. The one who merely hears and does not do goes to hell. As we hear the call to be doers of the word, we do need to put that in context, not just of the book of James, but in the context of union and communion with the Lord Jesus. Do you remember that one of the things that Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross in John 17 in his high priestly prayer? Jesus speaking to his Father here. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Can you hear the language of James there? Those whom Jesus prays for, you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus praying here the words of James, what have they done? They have kept your word. They have heard of the call to repent and believe, and by the, by the grace of the Spirit, they responded. Jesus has prayed for this for you 2,000 years ago, to be a doer of the word. Election, those that Jesus prays for, in John 17, Lord, the ones you have given to me, I pray for them now. Way back in eternity past, he prays, he, he prays for those that God gave to him before the foundation of the world. What does he pray for them? That they keep your word. That they would manifest eternal election in lives of holiness in the Lord Jesus. Think also of the words of Paul in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That Ephesians 2 passage is so rich. It begins with the former walk of the believer, you're walking in darkness and sin under the authority of Satan and the, this present evil age, but then God made you alive in Jesus Christ, and now you walk, not as you once did, you walk in good works. Why? Because you, want, you need to earn more of God's grace? No, because you are new creation in Jesus Christ, and God made you that to walk in good works, to be a doer of the, work, of the word. You were not saved by works, but you were saved for them. In his little book, The Family at Church, Joel Beakey lists several guidelines for putting God's Word, especially the preached Word, into practice. One of those guidelines, remember what you have heard and read. That is the issue we've already seen that faces each of us, in one ear and out the other. One help for that, from the Puritan Joseph Align, he said that, one way to remember the word is to come from your knees to the sermon and come from the sermon to your knees. Coming to the word prayerfully, going from the word prayerfully. A prayerful preparation. Think of it as a, a tilling of the soil of your heart to be ready to receive the seed of the word. And a prayerful review. Now the seed has been sown. Now you want to let it get down deep in the soil so that it will take root and grow. Lord, help me to focus when your word is being preached and help me to remember what I've, what I've heard. 
praying through what we have heard. Another guideline, talk about what you have heard. Fathers, this is something to do in family worship. You're never too far from the previous Sunday's sermon. Wherever you are in family worship, there's always a way to refer back to the, the, the previous sermon. You've heard of six degrees to Kevin Bacon, six degrees to the Sunday sermon. What stood out to you from the sermon? What's the main point? What's the main takeaway? What were the illustrations illustrating? What sin did that sermon show me that I need to put to death? What aspect of the gospel did I hear? What did I hear that I've heard before a million times, but need to hear a million times more? Think of the Lord Jesus as the ultimate doer of God's Word, who received that that work from His Father before the foundation of the world, who gladly received the elect from His Father, who came from the glory of heaven to the poverty of earth to do His Father's will, resulting in the eternal salvation of sinners like you and me. He became the ultimate doer of God's will, and meritoriously so, so that you could walk as a doer of God's will, a doer of God's word, in union and communion with Him for time and for eternity. There's nothing that God's word does not speak to. So in a sense, this sermon is a sermon about sermons. But think about how to hear sermons. Are you grieving? There is comfort in God's word in Jesus Christ. Are you convicted of sin? There is forgiveness in him. Are you in need of wisdom? Christ is wisdom itself. And on and on the needs go. On and on they are met in God's word. There's nothing that God's word does not speak to. I want to close the way that Charles Spurgeon closed his sermon on this same passage. Some of you will not like this. Some of you will find it offensive. Listen how Charles Spurgeon closed his sermon on this this same passage. Some of you, I fear, never think at all. As far as thinking goes, if your brains were taken out, many of you would get on almost as well without them. The brains of some people are only useful as a sort of salt to keep them from rotting by death. Little thinking is done by the great mass of the people except the thought, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? Do, I pray you, think a little. Pause and consider what God the Lord sets before you. Be a doer of the work. Do what God bids you. As he bids you repent, repent. As he bids you believe, believe. As he bids you pray, pray. As he bids you accept his grace, God helping you, do it. I'll add one thing, not close the exact same way Spurgeon did. There was that old story of that Scottish family. The father and the children went to worship. The mother was homesick, and the minister went a little short that day. And father and the children go back home. Mom is a little surprised to see everyone come home so early. So mom says, oh, is the sermon done? And father wisely says, no, the sermon has been said. It is yet to be done. And this sermon, this one, has been said. And now it is time for it to be done. 